When I think about technology and health equity, you know, they are linked. And we have to make sure that innovation happens with a health equity lens and the innovations actually work for all communities, not just some communities. That, that often has, has not been how things have worked. We can't allow that to happen. And I look forward to continuing to help the AMA push on that issue. With all the buzz of new innovations, it's easy to forget that healthcare is a people business in need of technology, not a technology business in need of people. From the organizers of health, we bring you Live at Vive, a podcast where we embark on curious conversations with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators in the trenches of healthcare. Join hosts, Dr. Gotham Gulati, Jessica Shepard, and myself, Jordan Schlein, as we seek to uncover the truth behind the inner workings of our fractured healthcare system and ultimately how we can fix it together. On today's episode, we bring you Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, where we discuss the state of healthcare in America and the evolving role of the medical professional. Jesse is the president-elect of the American Medical Association and is a senior associate dean, tenured professor of anesthesiology, and director of the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Dr. Ehrenfeld divides his time among clinical practice, teaching, research, and directing a $560 million statewide health philanthropy. For the past two decades, Dr. Ehrenfeld has advocated on behalf of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals, having earned recognition for helping address rampant inequities within our healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Gotham Gulati. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. G, Dr. Gotham Gulati, and you're listening to the official Vive podcast. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Jessica Shepard. Thank you. And we have an amazing guest today. We have Jesse Ehrenfeld who is the president-elect of the American Medical Association. So we're really excited to have this conversation. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a fun to be with you guys. Tell us your date. I love like when you said that. June June, 13th. June 13th. I become the 177th president of the American Medical Association. Wow. All right. Well, it's an institution that has quite a a few mandates around it. So what's, what's going to be your focus? Trying to make... America healthy and our healthcare system work better for patients and physicians. That's and, it. And a big component of that is, <laughs> yeah. is, is digital small, health. Just digital a small, health. just a yeah. small little. Uh, that second yeah. one that you yeah. mentioned, yeah. what would you say in, in your opinion would make it better? If you were to maybe narrow it down to maybe two or three things, what would make healthcare in America better? You know, I saw 20 patients yesterday and not a single patient had an experience that was frictionless, had an experience where I know every outcome was optimized and everything we did provided value. And, and I, we see those gaps. We, we know that there are things that we could be doing better. We want technology to be a part of that solution, not a barrier, not a friction point, not an annoyance, like the electronic health record often has been historically. And so that's part of why we're here at, at, at Vive and, and optimistic about kind of our work in digital health and innovation and trying to make the healthcare system work more effectively for physicians and for patients. And so how do you do that? It starts by having physicians at the table at the beginning of the innovation design cycle. And we, we have seen, unfortunately, 
technologies brought into the marketplace that have been a burden, not an asset. We can't allow that to happen. We've got to make sure that uh, considerations around how things integrate into workflows, how things provide appropriate acknowledgement of transparency so that we understand how the technologies work. We got to make sure that there isn't bias that's being reinforced by the development of a technology that doesn't work in a particular population. And I give you lots of examples like the recent challenges around pulse oximetry that, you know, with a medical device that reads differently in patients with dark skin colors. That shouldn't happen. We can't allow that to happen. The way that we solve that is by making sure that technology innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum without physicians' voice, without our understanding of our healthcare systems, of what patients are experiencing. And that's a big focus for the AMA's work in the space. You know, I would love if we were able to do that by like having some MDs and we send them back to be CIOs, right? Or like chief technology officers, like us actually fueling by getting people who have done clinical work and kind of re-educating them in the technology, because I think that's a beautiful blend of it as well. Because often I've been on, you know, advisory boards or sitting at the table of, of technology and advancement. And sometimes it is a little bit overwhelming as far as how much they do or how much they're trying to accomplish and merging the true clinical connection because maybe my information, I think Gotham is probably much more advanced in the technology space <laughs> and lending a, you know, an, a hand to that. But I, I do think sometimes we are at the deficit from a provider's perspective of not truly knowing technology. I think you're absolutely right. And, and then we get left holding the bag. And a key principle when we think about bringing AI-enabled devices, technology, software into the marketplace is around liability and making sure that the the entity, the organization that understands the breakpoints, that understands the risks, is best positioned to mitigate those risks, holds the liability. That's not going to be the physician in, in most cases because we are unlikely to have an understanding, the level of transparency that would enable that to happen. And so when an algorithm breaks, when it doesn't work in a given set of patients, if we don't place that liability in the right place, and you can imagine why companies are not really enthusiastic about holding that, then I think we're going to run into an adoption freeze and, and physicians aren't going to be willing to, to bring things on. Your, your point about how do we create that connectivity between developers, companies, entrepreneurs, physicians is an important one. In 2016, the AMA launched something called the Physician Innovation Network. It's a free online platform. Check it out. We've got more than 18,000 people on the platform now. And it's a place for physicians, students, residents, trainees to come together with companies to engage, to have facilitated conversations, sort of create connectivity. And, and we've seen some really exciting products come out of those sort of matches that have happened online. In fact, tonight here at Vive, we're going to have a, an in real life session to bring some of those people together, you know, for the first time in person because it is a virtual platform. But those kinds of vehicles, are really important for... And they're providing their insights and, and feedback to some of these technologies. Exactly, that are, exactly. Okay. The insights. And we know that those insights are critical in grounding the technology and the reality of what it's like to practice, what it actually means to do a certain procedure, provide a certain diagnosis, prescribe a certain medication for a given patient. What are some of the... You, you brought up some technologies such as artificial intelligence, and I know it's one of the topics that you're talking about here at Vive as well. 
what are some of the potentials for misuse? Like what's the role of the American Medical Association in terms of, you know, protection of information and protection of data, ensuring that, you know, some of the technologies that are developed are used to the benefit of patients and not necessarily to the detriment of them? Well, let me start by saying that I am an optimist. I'm a technology <laughs> developer. I am an informaticist. So I, I'm a believer, right? Like mm-hmm. I, we know these things can help. That being said, there is a lot of risk for things to go off the rails and, you know, data privacy, understanding where information is going, who has access, you know, once your health data is shared with a third party that is not protected by HIPAA, the gene's out of the bottle and, and, and consumers don't get that. You know, when you allow an app that's not a covered entity to have access to your health data, it can be sold, traded, put it made available. And unfortunately, there aren't, we think, good consumer protections in place right now to prevent that from happening. So there are definitely issues around privacy that a lot in the sort of post-Dobbs decision era, concerns about reproductive health, activities, services, diagnoses, medications, making sure that we protect that information is, is an acute issue. And, and we're hoping for some federal regulatory guidance soon from the administration on that. But that's, that's one issue. You know, the issues of bias, right? How, how do we make sure that we, we don't take a data set that further replicates or reinforces bias in marginalized communities? And the only way that we can do that is by ensuring, you know, we know where the data are coming from and we know that we, when we deploy technologies that, that, that they work in, in all patients. And so as, as we think about, you know, how do we make sure that AI and other digital technologies come into the marketplace in ways that work for patients? You know, there's some foundational things that, you know, we, we have been promulgating as an association. You know, we have core principles that are easily available on our website that we hope can be a helpful way for companies to differentiate themselves and their products to bring things that we know will be more effective in the marketplace. One of the things that happened during the pandemic was there was this lack of appreciation for the the healthcare professions. And I think that there was one burnout. The buy-in to medicine, quite frankly, was decreased among physicians. So from the AMA's perspective, what are your goals maybe to getting them back on board? I think that we just felt it. It was just throughout the entire profession, we were lost in a lot of (sighs) discouragement. The last three years have been hard. I I remember walking into the hospital in March and April of 2020 and seeing, you know, chalk art on the sidewalks, thanking us for what we were doing. People applauding publicly our, our actions. And then you pivot forward six months and there's an attack on science, misinformation rampant online, questions about masking and then ultimately vaccinations that were just demoralizing, I think, for so many of us. We've got to recover from that. The AMA has a recovery plan for America's physicians that has a number of key elements. Digital health, telemedicine expansion is is one of those. And we have to make sure that we are supporting physicians across the nation so that we can restore the joy in medicine and get out of some of this burnout. This has certainly been a legacy of the pandemic. But how do you rebuild that trust? The trust with physicians with, with, or with, or, or, or the trust from patients and the physicians and the science? Well, well, I think there's, uh, from the AMA perspective, the trust of the physicians in, in ensuring that the AMA has their core needs, you know, and, and their best interests at, at hand. And also trust from that you talked about the misinformation and science 
from the patient standpoint in terms of, you know, how we build that back? Yeah, I, I actually don't think the AMA lost the trust of America's physicians. Okay. Our, our membership numbers continue to grow and we have gotten really great feedback from physicians across the country and how we stepped up, how we advocated for PPE. And I will tell you, I, I remember taking my N95 at the end of every day when I was in the hospital, putting it in a brown paper bag and sending it to the sterilizer and it comes back the next day. I mean, it's crazy. So, you know, we fought for PPE, right? We worked with the government to get telehealth flexibility. We, we did so much that we had to do to support practices and physicians and mm. facilities and patients. And so I, I think our members saw those actions. I think, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of growth in our membership and support because of those things. So I, don't, I don't think we lost trust. But the, the misinformation crisis in America right now is real. And, and I had a patient yesterday who told me they were having a cardiac ablation you know, in the electrophysiology lab. So, you know, there's a risk that they could have a, a blood vessel puncture and bleed. And so I was talking with them, I'm an anesthesiologist, about blood transfusion. And I said, you know, is blood transfusion okay? You know, here are risks. And the patient said, no, I don't, I, I'm not going to accept a blood transfusion. I said, well, why not? And, they said, and she said, well, I don't want to get any blood that's been vaccinated. And in that moment, it, it's just, it is, it's demoralizing to hear a patient have this deeply held belief that is so far removed from the scientific evidence about the safety, the safety of receiving a blood transfusion from somebody who's been vaccinated, that it's going to be a, an uphill battle to sort of uh, restore credibility, I think, at a national level, and even an international level. It's not, this is not a phenomenon limited to the U.S. to get things back on track. And coming back to the element of technologies, because I know you, you said you're, you're, you've got an optimistic look in terms of some of the developments that are happening there. Technologies have the goal is to make them somewhat invisible and reduce friction in our system. But the reality is they've actually introduced a lot of additional friction into our system that's causing a lot of burnout amongst many providers and, and physicians out there. Is that something that you guys are looking at in terms of, I mean, there's a little bit of a crisis from a mental health perspective, from a burnout perspective amongst providers that concerns me to some degree. I'm curious what the- Concerns me too. And, and unfortunately, the perspective of, of many physicians is that technologies in healthcare are more of a burden than an asset and they don't want them. We do surveys of physicians every three years to understand, you know, adoption rates and interest and what people are thinking. And, and we released in the fall of 22, the most recent edition of that's a national representative sample that we do with a partner. One in five physicians report using some type of augmented intelligence in their practice. People want these things. It's mostly on the operation side. It's not for decision support. It's not for diagnosis today, but people want it. We see a lot of enthusiasm. So there's sort of this strange disconnect in that, you know, the experience has been pretty raw to date in terms of how these things, you know, have not integrated into workflows, have required you to log into another system. You know, I, I just think about the simple example of, you know, e-prescribing controlled substances in the state, you know, prescribing databases. None of them were integrated when they got rolled out. But there were state mandates for good reasons that if you're going to prescribe a controlled substance, you need to look up the patient in the database. Well, that requires logging into another system and remembering a username and a password and clicks. Now they're APIs and those things have gotten a little bit better. But another example where the technology implementation was the real issue, not the underlying data that was behind the idea. We've had a lot of discussion about electronic medical records and how that technology implementation, you know, back 15 years ago was much different to what we're seeing now. Many of the interviews that Gotham and I have had with technology-based 
guests are really showcasing how they're willing to take pause to hear the physician and healthcare providers voice their opinion on and what is the best way to implement this technology. So from the AMA, do you have strong partnerships with certain technologies that are going to be a big part of how physicians practice that you can make that recommendation or bring to life what the clinical life is like? Yeah, so there there are a variety of pathways that we continue to push on to create those bridges. And, you know, I, I mentioned the Physician Innovation Network. We have an innovation company called Health 2047 out on the West Coast. That's it's, through AMA? It's through AMA. It's, it's a wholly owned subsidiary. It's a for-profit enterprise. It's mm-hmm. not a startup. It is an innovation studio. And they have birthed almost a dozen companies at this point. Those companies have uh, worked on ideas that we see as priorities with our perspective as an association, but then they're startups, right? They, they get VC funding, they go out and they try to have an impact for good on, on the world. That's, that's another vehicle that, that we have. But what you're describing, this idea that technology companies are more in tune with the needs of physicians, I, I'm not sure that that's universal. And you know, there, there's a large EHR vendor out there who employs you know, a handful of physicians. And given the thousands of employees that they have, that's not necessarily ideal in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that it's a place where companies can differentiate themselves in the market by grounding their solutions in the reality of, of what it's like to actually work and practice and experience, you know, how these technologies will come into play, but it can't be an afterthought. And unfortunately, that we, we continue to see that as an issue. When you take the helm as, as president of the AMA in June, what are the three critical issues that you want to address as, as in your term? Well, certainly making technologies work for physicians is an issue. We've got to make sure that we can recover from the experience of COVID, and, and that means expanding telehealth. We have payment reform issues, so you may know this, but every physician who sees Medicare patients got a 2% payment cut in January. Mm-hmm. Not sustainable. That, that just creates access challenges for seniors. That, that's a problem. Prior authorization is a huge pain point. It is the number one dissatisfier for physicians. It used to be the EMR, now, now it's prior auth. And we just, we just have not seen, in spite of convenience, consensus guidelines, you know, third-party payers being at the table with us to try to work on these solutions. We just, we haven't seen that happen. There was a, a very recent expose about a large insurance company, you know, using algorithms to automatically deny thousands of patients needed care. You brought it up um, before I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, those things are happening and, and we just, we can't allow that to continue. And so I know that we will have opportunities through regulatory pathways of when we can't get our partners in the healthcare ecosystem to do the right thing to start to get some movement. So Jesse, uh, I'm excited about what's ahead, lies ahead for when you take the helm over at the American Medical Association. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think we should be talking about? Health equity. Health equity is so important. Yes. And, and I'm the first gay president of the AMA. That's amazing. Thank you. Yes, um, congratulations. And and health equity has been such an important part of my professional identity and portfolio. I co-founded the, the Vanderbilt Program for LGBTQ Health, have been a health equity researcher for a long time. And when I think about technology and health equity, you know, they are linked. And we have to make sure that innovation happens with a health equity lens and the innovations actually work for all communities. 
not just some communities. That, that often has, has not been how things have worked. We can't allow that to happen. And I look forward to continuing to help the AMA push on that issue in the coming months and year. Right. I think that's a, an amazing objective to have because even from the lens of the physician side, but also governance, legislation, insurance, not going to leave them out as well. And hospital systems. I think that there's so many areas where we can have a desire to fix something and then there's all these missed opportunities along the way. So I, I will definitely be following you to see how that and, is. And sometimes you have to, you just have to kind of start over. One of the spinouts from Health 2047 is a company called Zing Health. It's a healthcare plan for underserved communities that really puts the patient's needs and the patient-physician relationship back at the center of the plan in a really kind of exciting way using some of the flexibility that Medicare Advantage happens. When we started Health 2047, I don't think any of us thought there'd be a health plan that spun out of it, hmm. but it's been a really, really important vehicle for us to try to push on health equity from that standpoint. That's amazing. Well, Jesse, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Thanks for Congratulations having you guys. Again. We're excited it. to see yeah. what next year brings. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We'll be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Live at Five wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. This podcast is a product produced and mixed by Well Played Media in partnership with Health, the organizers of the annual Vive Conference. Remember to subscribe. And if you have an idea for a non-boring show in health or medicine, email us your idea at hello at wellplayed.health. Are you interested in seeing and meeting many of the guests we interview on this show? Be sure to check out viveevent.com and join us at next year's conference. See you next time.